Chapter Two, Part Two of Our Search for a Wilderness by Mary Blair Beebe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. As we drew nearer, a strange rustling sound reached our ears, like the regular pattering of raindrops, and before we knew it, we were standing in the midst of thousands of active ants whose rushing and scrambling about over the dead leaves caused the loud rustling. In a few seconds, twenty or thirty ants had climbed upon and above our shoes, and their sharp, nipping bites sent us in haste to the flanks of the army, where we freed ourselves from the fierce creatures. These ants are not large, varying from a fifth to a third of an inch in length, dark in color with lighter red abdomens until one becomes accustomed to these scenes of carnage the sight is really terrible especially when one lies down flat and takes an ant's eye view of the field of battle yet such is the fierceness and savage fury on one side and hopeless terror or frantic efforts to escape on the part of the victims that it needs but little imagination to stir deeply one's sympathies in place of the steady advance of a well-drilled army presenting a solid front of serried ranks the formation of the hunting ants may be compared to an innumerable host of cavalry scouts who quarter the ground in every direction the whole army slowly advancing and including new territory in the scene of operations frequent flurries or louder rustlings follow the discovery and the subsequent terrible struggle of some quarry of noble size a huge beetle or mighty lizard one fact impressed us from the first every creature aroused by the ants seems to know instinctively of the awful danger whether through odor or sight or sound the alarm always carried its full meaning insects which ordinarily would escape the collecting net by a single quick motion here dashed away with such terror that they often flew against our clothes or a tree and were hurled to the ground lizards took shelter under our shoes or shot off like streaks of light for many yards our presence and that of the predatory birds was disregarded in the efforts to avoid the danger which generations of inherited experience had made the most vivid in life insects which usually feigned death as a means of escape when disturbed by these ants used all the motor organs given them by nature to flee from the dreaded foe escape seemed to be the result of accident with all wingless creatures even with those possessing good eyesight for the first blind terrified rush as often carried them to certain death in the thickest of the host as it did to safety in the van or on one side of the ant army even wings were not a surety of escape twice i saw moths arise heavily from their hiding places with half a dozen of the little fiends clinging to their legs and wings one was snapped up ants and all by a big flycatcher and the other fell among the quartermaster's brigade in the rear where every ant within reach dropped his load and hurled himself upon the newcomer 
here and there one might observe good-sized balls of ants rolling about and in the centre would be some hard-cased beetle or other insect who gave up only after killing and maiming a score of his assailants we dropped five big black ants into the midst of the marauders and witnessed a combat as thrilling as the contest between the greeks and the persians four of the insects alighted on a small rounded stone over which three hunting ants were scurrying without hesitation the black ants fell upon the brown warriors and tore them limb from limb with the loss of only half a leg this is not a very serious handicap when one has five and a half robust limbs left the fifth big fellow dropped upon a mass of ants piled like football players upon a struggling scorpion whose sting was lashing the air in vain the big ant started another ripple upon this pool of death which soon smoothed away leaving no recognizable trace of him but the quartet of big-jawed fellows on their rock citadel fought successfully and well no ant which crept to the top ever lived to return for help the four flew at him like wolves and bit him to death soon a ring of hunting ants formed around the stone all motionless except for a frantic twiddling of antenna they were apparently excited by the smell of the blood of their dead fellows and only rarely did one venture now and then to scale the summit when we left two hours afterward the army had passed and left the stone and its four doughty defenders who showed no immediate intention of leaving their fortress the ground over which the hunting ants passed was absolutely bare of life and contrary to the rule in human armies it was among the camp followers and foragers that the most perfect discipline reigned in the rear of the main army were lines upon lines of ants laden with the spoils legs bodies and heads of insects and spiders bits of scaly skin of lizard or turtle joints of centipedes and scorpions and here and there a piece of ragged but gaudy butterfly wing borne aloft like the captured standard of some opposing force we followed three lines of supply carriers and found that they converged on some sheltered hollow in a tree or under a boulder or root here were massed countless hordes of ants clinging together like a swarm of bees in the centre were the queen eggs and young of these nomadic savages resting thus temporarily until the far distant scouts should report another shelter when the whole community would shift to the new home further along on the line of march the army in which we were especially interested seemed to be carrying on their hunting in a rough circle about the temporary home and perhaps this is a common habit certain ants apparently serve some function of direction or means of communication for they keep to one place for half an hour at a time and twiddle their antenna with every ant which approaches it was when the hunting ants discovered the nests of other species of ants that warfare true to its name was waged one could watch as from a balloon mimic waterloos and gettysburgs 
and sad to relate in the case of inoffensive species plunder murder and abduction by the wholesale after studying the ways of these merciless creatures we could seldom walk through the quiet sunlit jungle with blossoming orchids everywhere overhead and the songs of birds and the pleasant hum of insects in our ears without thinking of the tragedies without number ever going on around us used as we were to the small lightning bugs of our northern summer nights the big luminous elater beetles pyphorus species were ever of interest the two thoracic lights are placed on the outer posterior edges and give out a pale greenish glow of great intensity we could easily see to read and write by their light and by placing a half dozen of these insects in a glass we could use them instead of our electric flash when we examined them carefully we were surprised to find that there was another area of illumination on the abdomen below and just behind the insertion of the third pair of legs when fully illuminated this area was brilliant and of a figure eight laid on its side in shape the light however was radically different from that of the thorax being yellowish and candle-like giving an illusory impression of an opening from the incandescent interior of the insect when the insect settles to rest the only visible illumination is from the pair of thoracic lights but in flight the abdominal searchlight comes into play burning brightly with a strong yellowish glare quite different from the green thoracic lights as we lay at night half asleep we would sometimes be awakened by the droning of one or two big elaters whose intermittent flashes would illumine the whole room more than once we had to capture the intruders with the butterfly net and banish them before we could get any sleep we chloroformed two of these luminous beetles and pinned them in an insect box two evenings afterwards when we had occasion to add more insects the box was opened and to our surprise the little lanterns were still aglow and hardly less brilliant than when the insects were alive they had been dead forty-eight hours and yet their light still shone ghostly white lighting up the other insects in the box one evening we found a tiny wire worm the larva of some small species of elater which was highly phosphorescent although only about one-half of an inch in length the whole head the posterior segment and a spot on the side of each of the others was bright watched as it moved smoothly and rapidly along it reminded us of a ship passing at a distance at night with the lights streaming from the portholes our trips to the pitch lake on the early morning engine will never be forgotten a warning toot from the diminutive whistle hurries us through our breakfast and we hasten to the track and see our cameras and guns loaded on one of the little square wooden empties we mount the wood-filled tender of the engine which with many complaining creaks and jolts gets under way backing slowly around the curve which hides the last sign of civilization and buries us in the jungle 
for nearly twenty years these little toy engines have bustled and elbowed their way over the snaky rails until the jungle and its people have come to look upon this narrow winding steel path as part of the general order of things the underbrush creeps close and only the constant whipping of the engines and cars beats down the growth between the rails as we start the last bats of night dash into the dark jungle and their diurnal prototypes a flock of graceful palm swifts swoop about overhead to our ears there comes the finale of the morning chorus of distant red howlers and the first deep-toned bellings of the giant caciques all along the line beasts and birds show their lack of fear of the rumbling cars a party of chattering little monkeys sit and gibber at us and rub their dew-drenched fur their parents and great-grandparents had found nothing to fear in this strange thing which five times each day crawls back and forth on its narrow trail and why should they do more than look and wonder as we come in sight of the muddy banks of the little river a great parrot shrieks in derision at us from the top of a dead stub by the track executing slow somersaults for our benefit instinctively we look for a chain on its leg and a food cup nearby a splash draws our eyes downward and from a maelstrom of muddy water shoots a villainous stingray a school of little staring four eyes skips over the water and near the swampy further bank a sprawling half-grown crocodile watches us as quiet as a stranded log the air blows cool and damp on our faces and we long for the keen power of scent of a dog even to our dull nostrils every turn of the road is full of interest a swamp thickly starred with dainty spider lilies comes into view and we inhale draughts of sweetest incense easter sunday is at hand and the very wilderness reminds us of it with every breath of air the great palm leaves flick myriads of drops to the underbrush below with a sound as of heavy rain the trunks are black and soaked and there is not a dry frond for miles a sudden curve brings another loop of the river into view with a foreground of scuttling crabs and mangrove seedlings here a wave of coarse salty marsh smell fills our lungs not stagnant but redolent of the distant sea the smell that makes one's blood leap the next quarter mile is covered with lilies again from their perfume we enter a zone of recently cut grass and the incense brings to mind northern hayfields and the sweet grass baskets of the indians what new pains and pleasures would be ours could we possess the power of scent of some of the quotes, lower quotes, animals temperate succeed tropical vistas we see what at first appears to be a grove of young chestnuts rising from rhododendrons and guinea grass a spotted sandpiper heightens the illusion and the picture is complete when a familiar milkweed butterfly floats by and alights on a red and yellow tansy but just then a macaw shrieks from a nearby tree 
the roadbed turns and reveals a tangle of palms and scarlet heliconias a monkey climbs up a leaf large enough to shelter a half hundred of his kind strange palm fruits come into view some like enormous clusters or bunches of grapes each fruit as large as an orange or again a huge feathery dependent frond of dust-blown blossom and fruit protected by an overhanging spathe like a huge umbrella the jungle never gives up the struggle against the invading rails beneath the cars the constant friction only dwarfs the growth and we find here miniature plants blooming fruiting and scattering seed plants which elsewhere reach a height of five or six feet it is an interesting case of quick adaptation to unfavorable conditions the vegetation presses on every inch of the track striving ever to close up the long scar through the heart of the forest and only by systematic cutting is the way kept open the advance of the jungle host is most interesting thirty feet from the rails the growth is primeval a dense mass of entangled and interlaced vines shrubs palms and giant trees the boles of the latter shooting up and up through the mass and bursting into bloom high overhead nearer the track we find a phalanx of green banners and the wonderfully brilliant red and yellow flower stalks of the quick-growing heliconias in front are the rough scouts the real advance guard of strong thorny vines growing in close entanglement a living chevaux de frise inconspicuous and yet offering the greatest resistance under this shelter the larger but slower growing components of the jungle take root and gather vigor until if not cut out with the hardest labor they soon rear their heads from their nursery of vines and brambles and the shining rails vanish from view all the creatures of the forest cross and recross the track freely even in front of an approaching train waterfowl sunbitterns and the weird-voiced trumpeters walk up and down and flocks of seed-eaters drift here and there gleaning seed from between the rails the trumpeters were a great surprise to us as this is the first instance of their being found north of the orinoco river one day we see the leaves part and a long low-shouldered reddish form slouches across before us without even a glance at us and we know it for the first south american puma felix con color which we have seen another red lion as the natives call it with two cubs was seen not long before only the sloth is barred he comes close to the endless swath he wanders from tree to tree up and down peering dully out across the track but he cannot cross the twenty-foot treeless embankment is as impregnable to him as a sheer wall of rock with a weird cry he turns back and starts in another direction through the branches we reach the lake long before the dew is dried and before the freshness of the dawn is dissipated hurrying over the planks and the temporary rails laid for the workmen's hand cars 
we push on a half mile or more to the southward where nothing hints of man's proximity to the north and west are irregular peaks running off into a blue and misty range the foothills of the spanish main to the south the high woods are close to us and tower high overhead but even with the eye of yonder lofty soaring vulture we could see no mountains in that direction nothing but flat green miles of mangroves stretching to the horizon over the immense delta of the orinoco the pitch lake itself is surrounded on all sides by dense forests the front ranks of which are made up of the marvelously tall and graceful moriche palms there is one oasis in this pitchy expanse parrot island it may be called to this shelter guarded on all sides by soft quaking pitch amazon parrots come at dusk by hundreds roosting there until the next morning near the northern edge is the mother of the lake just above the deep hidden source of supply where the pitch is always soft and where no vegetation grows it is a veritable pool of death and nothing can enter it and live the lizards and heavy-bodied insects which scamper over the rim are often clogged and drawn down to death a jaguar leaping after a jacana slipped in shortly before we came and made a terrible fight for life half blinded its struggles carried it only further outward but fortunately the end came mercifully soon all the rest of the lake is a varied expanse of black pitch bubbles short grass clumps of fern and sedge with occasional isolated palms flowers of many kinds and colors spring from the heart of the raw pitch itself jacanas rise before us with loud cries and flashing wings of gold one may walk over the lake at will morning and evening but in the heat of midday in many places one's shoes sink quickly unless one keeps constantly on the move white is not a very common color in nature and yet here in striking contrast with the inky blackness of the pitch most of the birds show large patches of this color in the distance are always to be seen snowy egrets and immature blue herons spots of purest white while near at hand absurdly tame a big hawk forever soars slowly about or perches on some great frond of a tall palm it is a white-headed chima hawk with plumage of white save for back wings and tail the two most abundant small birds are chiefly white in color both are flycatchers one with white head and neck white-headed marsh flycatcher perching in the reeds and making fierce sallies after passing insects while even more beautiful and conspicuous are the little terrestrial flycatchers white-shouldered ground flycatchers or cotton birds which scurry along the ground over pitch and fallen logs their tails continually wag from side to side and they come within a few feet of us uttering low inquiring notes peep peep they too are clad in white except for back nape wings and tail we follow one about watching it through the ground glass of the camera when 
we blunder into a thicket of dry crackling twigs a sudden rustling sound draws our attention and we look up and find ourselves within a few feet of a dry palm stub around the roughened stringy bark peers a green head with wide yellow eyes and we stiffen into immobility the position is anything but comfortable thorns are scratching us flies are tickling our faces but we dare not move after five minutes which seem hours the big yellow-fronted amazon parrot withdraws and we hear a scuttling within the stub silently and with the greatest caution we step backward and after a rest we arrange our plan of attack these birds usually nest in hollows in the tops of the tallest most inaccessible trees and this is a golden opportunity one in a lifetime for a photograph of a parrot at home the entrance is rectangular about three by six inches and some five feet above the ground painfully i pick my way to the side of the stub and bracing myself focus on that spot of black on the trunk then milady rustles the weeds in the rear of the stub again a rustling and on the ground glass of my grayflex flashes the green head snap i have her and with the slowest of motions i change plates while she is engrossed with the disturber in the rear i advance a step and get another picture then screwing up my speed button i push slowly forward and just as she is about to hurl herself from the stub i secure a third photograph off she goes to the nearest palms shrieking at the top of her lungs and is joined by her mate we cut a hole in the trunk near the ground and there find the nest of the parrot three white eggs one of which is pipped and a young bird just hatched reward us all wrestling on a bed of chips the diminutive polly is scantily clothed with white down and while in the shade lies motionless when a ray of warm sunlight strikes it the little fellow becomes uneasy and crawls and tumbles about until it escapes from the unwelcome heat during its activity it keeps up a continuous low raucous cry like the mew of a catbird far out on the expanse of black pitch six feet in the depths of this dark cavity this little squawking mite surely had a strange babyhood to fit it for its future life in the sunlight among the palms it was the yellow-fronted amazon parrot a common species with dealers everywhere but we shall never see one in a cage uttering inane requests for crackers without thinking of the interesting family we discovered at the pitch lake we found strange fish in the pools of water scattered over the lake some must have wriggled their way over dry land for some distance to get there there were round sunfish-like fellows aquidens and others long and slender with wicked-looking teeth hopeless malabaricus most curious of all were the loricates or armored catfish with a double row of large overlapping scales enclosing their body from head to tail like the hoatzins among the birds 
these fish are strange relics of the past preserved almost unchanged from the ancient fossil devonian forms days passed like hours in this wonderland and the time for returning to civilization came all too soon the strange living beings which filled jungle and air and water made us long for the leisure of months instead of weeks in which to study all the infinite variety of life which surrounded us our last view of venezuela was like the first a panorama of silent majestic green walls guarding a stream of brilliant copper every one of the untold myriads of beating hearts beyond the walls resting silent in the noonday heat waiting for the coolness of evening to awaken them to activity to some it would bring song and happiness with nest and mate to some combat to others death end of chapter two